0: This morning we're um, carrying on with the the sort of series we're doing on uh, values uh, of the church. What what are we as a church? What are the things that matter to us? So this morning we're we're looking at LCC or a family of Christ followers who are rooted in the scriptures. So we're looking at the Bible today rooted in the scriptures. That's a key value, a key component of what makes us who we are as a family. So, uh, what I thought I'd do is, is try and apply that a little bit to us personally. What does that mean to be rooted in the Scriptures personally as a follower of Christ? Uh, and what does it mean to us collectively and, and corporately? But first of all, um, maybe that numbers of you are new to following Christ. You, you've recently followed him, or maybe you've not even sort of heard much uh, teaching on the Bible. So we do have to ask the question first of all: What is the Bible? Um, um, I've got loads of books here today, Bibles and things to recommend to you. And they're all, they're, I don't know where to put them all. Right. So, um, so if you if you're taking notes, you might, and you like reading, then then there may be some things for you to to to, to grab hold of. So, uh, what what actually is the Bible? Well, it's made up. Of of sixty six separate writings or books or letters, sixty six different ones, all written are well, not all written by all different people, but written by a number of different people. The when you open a Bible, it's not in the chronological order that it was written in, so it's not like you are read something that followed through in the in the you know in years. Most of it is certainly when you come to bits of the, or the, the gospels, but It's written in, there's different bits in different places. So Job is probably the oldest book in the Bible, but it's not the first one in the order. So it's important to know those sorts of things. Um, It's written in different styles. So there's poetry uh, and uh, praise and worship. So poetry, like Psalms, that sort of thing. There's narrative, like the Gospels, which is telling literal stories, whereas in the Psalms, because it's poetic, there's some poetic license, so... For example, uh, where it says, you know, the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Well, trees don't have hands, right? It's poetic license, so you don't read it literally because it's bringing a poetic description, probably of the leaves rustling in the wind, right? But also, when you get to the Gospels and it says Jesus healed many people, that's not figurative. He did it. So we have to know the difference types of literature we're reading in the Bible, and that, that's important to know that. There's all sorts of different bits of lit, types of literature, but we won't go into all that today. This is where I could give you a really good recommendation if you want to find out a little bit more about the Bible, how it all came together. So why have we got 66 books? Well, that's called the Canon of Scripture, and that came about. Uh, so in the early centuries of the church, after Jesus had ascended back to heaven, there was Lots of writings going around around about him. So the Gospels, Paul's letters, John, Peter, lots of letters. Plus, obviously, they'd already got the Torah. They'd already got the ancient Old Testament literature. And they were putting it all together, trying to say, well, which bits are genuine? And so we, we come to know what's called the canon of Scripture because those looking at the different component parts of what was going on, the word canon means read or rule or plumb line. And so it was looked at, does, is this genuinely in keeping with all the other writings? And, and a, a kind of a, a canon, a complete uh, a set of all the writings that uh, were, were considered to be valid and authentic and in harmony with the truth of Scripture was, was finally agreed upon uh, during the early councils of the church. So that's, that's how it all came about, a very sort of snapshot there. But this book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, I really recommend, if you, if you want to know a little bit more, you think, well, how, how do I read different um, types of literature? How do I get the best out of the Bible? How to read the Bible for all it's worth, it's by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Uh, it says, A Practical Approach to Bible Study in an Easy-to-Understand Style. And there's over half a million copies of that been sold. So it is very, very, It's been very, very popular. How to read the Bible for all it's worth. All right, That's good uh, summer reading for you. So um, then we have to ask, the question, well, which version? There's lots and lots and lots of versions of the Bible. Well, I'll just tell you what I, what I do. I'm not saying that that's the only way or the right way or the best way. I'm just saying this is what I do. So I, I, over the years, I, I like to – there's what we might call um, literal translation. So, um, so what I've got is the English Standard Version. Um, I changed to that maybe, I don't know. 15 years ago, I was using the New International Version. I'm about to change back to the New International Version, not because it's more accurate, but because I find it easier to read. Uh, The English Standard Version, I think, is a better translation. And if you really want to get the most accurate translation, you'd probably go for the New American Standard Version, but that can be quite clunky when you're reading it. So those very accurate translations, almost word by word, phrase by phrase, really to get at the heart of the, of the as best as can be done of, of the ancient um, Greek uh, and, and Hebrew languages to try to put them into English. Then you move sort of a little bit more to what what you might call a looser translation so I quite like the New Living Translation. Uh, I think that's a really readable one. Uh, very, it's quite really accurate still, New Living Translation, but it just brings everything to us to life a little bit more, makes it a little bit more readable. And then um, another favorite of mine is really at the very, very loose end of translation is more translating by idiom is uh, the message by Eugene Peterson. It right? is a fantastic um, attempt to bring uh, accurate um, paraphrasing and idiom uh, to compare original text with with sort of things that might make a bit more sense in, in, in our language. Obviously, it's written with a slightly American style to it, but it's still nevertheless great. So those are my sort of three favorites. I like to dip into all Three of those. Um, and you might I, I would suggest for, for every Christian just to have a really accurate translation is good. So the ESV or the NIV <coughs> would be would be ideal and, and good to sort of have those. Now, if you're not um, a desperately uh, avid reader or, or maybe you, you don't read at all, then um, David Sushant has done an incredible job reading through the entire Bible on an app which you can listen to David Suchet's wonderful, soothing tones going through the entire scriptures. So if you're traveling or you're out for a walk, you can stick him on and listen to him reading the Bible to you, which is, some people, you know, prefer that and find that quite uh, quite good. If you really, really want to go into this a bit more, then if you ever go into uh, Euston in London and go to the British Library, you can actually see... Ancient Bibles there, some of the first Bibles that were ever put together. You can actually find William Tyndale's uh, first uh, translation of the Bible into English. He was the first one to translate from the, the, um, the Hebrew and the Greek into English in 1526. And he was executed for doing it and charged with heresy. And uh, I always find it quite sobering to think we have Bibles coming out of our ears very often, perhaps a slightly casual attitude to whether we read them or not. And yet, people paid with their lives that we might have access to it, because other, up until then it was just, you know, either translated into Latin or, uh, and kept chained to the pulpit, so, you know, common people were not allowed to, to access it. But William Tyndale really overturned that, and as a result, you know, you can still, there's only three copies left of his uh, original. Uh, New Testament translation, and one of them is in the British Library. There's a few bits fell off, um, but it's pretty much intact. You can see it there, right back from uh, 1526. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, But you can go and see it all in its lovely glass case. So that's a bit about uh, the Bible. uh, What else can I tell you about? um, Yeah, anyway, so how to read the Bible for all it's worth. That's 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 a great book. Jack likes books. Make a note of that one, Jack, and I'll test you afterwards, or I'll ask you questions on that one. And um, if any of you uh, do have done LEAD or anything like that, if you haven't done LEAD, do LEAD, right? Because it's for the chosen many, not the chosen few. And if whatever, whatever w- uh, sort of your service for Christ is, doing something like the LEAD course, which will give you a good theology of Scripture, but also help you with sort of some of these things, which are important for us to know in the world we live in. You know, we've got to have confidence in the Scriptures and know, well, you know where do they come from, how do we, how do we know they're accurate. Uh, so applying it then sort of a little bit more personally, knowing the scriptures are essential to, to knowing Christ. And One of the things I've tried to do is, we're, as a family of churches in relational mission, we're trying to propagate this culture of everyone a witness, trying to get everyone to, to be more and more comfortable sharing our faith by words and works and wonders in lots of different ways. So, so because sometimes to get to the edge where you get some new stories, rather than live in the middle of familiarity, you've got to do some new things, haven't you? Yeah? yeah? Yeah. Because things don't often change if you just do what you've always done. If you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always had. So you've got to go to the edge. So I thought, right, okay, Lord, how can I go to the edge a bit more in sharing my faith? So I joined the Pocket Testament League, which, again, write that down. You can have a look on the website, Pocket Testament League. You can join that, and they will give you free copies, although I paid for mine, but you can have free ones. It will give you free copies of John's Gospel and uh, in various translations. Various, so, this is a new international one. And I ordered 30 of them. And I said, Lord, I want you to give me 30 people I can give the scriptures to and talk to. So, if they're in your pocket or they're in your, I don't know, rucksack or whatever, or your glove compartment of your car or wherever you keep them, the scriptures ultimately are the thing that Holy Spirit uses to bring life to people, Yeah. It's the, it's the truth, the word of God, and we need the word. People, need to, people will benefit from our testimony, but they do need the word of God to find out about Jesus for themselves. And the Holy Spirit will bring to life the truth from the scriptures. So I've given out two. Right? I've got 28 to go, but I only ordered them about a month ago. So you might want to join me. You might want to find some other little things you can do. But giving away the scriptures is a a great thing. And if you can't afford them, they will give them to you for free. All right, so there's no excuse. We can all just get on with that. Um, Anyway, so the Bible itself says, uh, or Paul says of uh, the scriptures, don't find it. Yes, here we are. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's a lovely phrase, isn't it? All scripture is breathed out by God. So it's not the product of man. Men wrote it using their ordinary abilities. And they didn't always know they were writing scripture. They just wrote down, You know, the gospel writers just wrote down what was happening. And they all wrote from different perspectives. And they're all slightly different, aren't they? Which is why some gospels have got some things in and some were missed out by others. That's because using their ordinary faculties as ordinary people with their ordinary grammatical abilities and intellectual abilities, they wrote down faithfully what was happening. But God didn't dictate to them what to say. He superintended it so that everything we read in the scriptures has had the breath of God upon it so that it is a totally accurate reflection of the revelation that God wants to bring to us that we can rely upon, which is why sometimes people say, Oh, the Bible is full of contradictions. No, it isn't. It's full of different perspectives. And there are one or two transcription errors in numbers and things like that, but nothing that actually takes away the essential revelation that's being given. So when we say, uh, when we read scripture, it is God's revelation of himself to us. We wouldn't know who God was or what he was like if we did not have the scriptures. Think about that. This is a precious thing, to have the scriptures in our hands, to say, well, what is God like? This is his unveiling of himself. So it's completely accurate to who God is, and that's when, in John it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he came from God, and that's talking about Jesus. Jesus then became the living representation, the living um, exact representation of the Father. It's like um, when it says in Hebrews, he, he was the exact representation of his being. It's like what the, the word there is, the one you would use on a printing press when, when you're make, making a coin. You bring the press down on the blank disk and the representation on the coin is exactly the same as the as the um, printing press that comes on it. And Jesus is the exact replication of the father. So there's no difference. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. So he is the word. He's everything God wants to say. He's the word. There's not, nothing lacking. There's no more to say. So you can only call him the word because there's nothing else to say. But the scriptures are a reliable Revelation to us of Jesus, who he is, of the Father, of the Holy Spirit. Truth about God that we can put our eternal destiny in the hands of confidently. So when Jesus says to whoever believes, uh, when in John it says to whoever believes in, receives him, gave he the right to become the children of God. You can put your life on that. And actually you have to. And How do we know that's true? Well, because the Bible is God's revelation. So we gain our confidence from the scriptures, not from, I don't know, popular opinion or, well, actually, I feel it's like this. Or oh, I had a funny feeling the other day and I'm sure it was God. Well, praise you if that's true. You know, bless God, if you did have the, you know, the, the wobblies, that's great. But but you have to root whatever you're experiencing is back into the scriptures. Does it does it match here? Does it produce the fruit that's in here? Uh, and it's not, read it, the scriptures are not supposed to be a dry academic thing. I've got a <clears throat> quote I keep in my Bible from John Flavel. I'm a bit of a Puritan fan. And he says this, Ecstasy and delight are essential to the believer's soul, and they promote sanctifican- <coughs> sorry, sanctification. We were not meant to live without spiritual exhilaration, and the Christian who goes for a long time without the experience of heartwarming will soon find himself tempted to have his emotions satisfied from the earthly things and not as he ought to from the spirit of God. The soul is so constituted that it craves fulfillment from things outside itself and will embrace earthly joys for satisfaction when it cannot reach spiritual ones. The believer is in spiritual danger. If he allows himself to go for any length of time without tasting the love of Christ and savoring the felt comforts of the Saviour's presence, when Christ ceases to fill the heart with satisfaction our souls will go in silent search of other lovers. By the enjoyment of the love of Christ in the heart of a believer, we mean an experience of the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which he's given to us. Because the Lord has made himself accessible to us through the scriptures, through these means of grace, it's our duty and privilege to seek this experience from him, In these means till we are joyful partakers of it. A bit wordy, but you get his point. You're not supposed to read the Bible as a dry academic exercise. It's supposed to blow your socks off. Using the message translation. (laughs) Flable. It's supposed to impact you. And we, we think, whoa, I've just read something that's really brought me great illumination you know, my heart's just been warmed by a truth just from reading a portion of scripture. So, the Bible is supposed to make us feel something. It's supposed to make us feel near to God, aware of God, the presence of God, warmed by truth. The Bible is authoritative on belief and practice. It's the way we know what is true. And I would say that in the midst of our World at the moment where the church is facing many, many battles, many, many battles. When you boil them all down to say, what is it that the church, that we, the church, face as our biggest challenge, living in the West particularly, it's not true of other places, but living in the West, it's the battle over the authority of Scripture. Whatever the issue is, um, it's the authority of Scripture. Is this God's Word? And does it go with the changing tides of culture? Do we interpret the Bible through the lens of culture, or do we interpret culture through the lens of scripture? That is the battle now, and I think as a, as a church, we are not doing well, not just us i think I think've got we 've got to give some some real sober reflection to How do we navigate the almost entire eradication of Christianity from the nation that we live in? So we're now a minority. We're now living in a post-Christian context, which might sound a bit depressing, but it is the truth. And so we've got to learn how to navigate confident that Scripture is still Scripture. And it's still true. And we have to then learn, how do we navigate? Um, I'll come on to that if time, um, if time permits. Goodness, which it may not. Uh, so scripture then is not a set of rules. It's wisdom. It's God's wisdom. Uh, if we say, well, there's this, and we tell, just keep telling people, keep telling each other, you can't do this, can't do that, do this, don't do that. Yeah. If, if that's the impression people get about the scriptures, they're missing it. The scriptures are wisdom for life. This is how to live, live, really live. Is it, the scriptures are just the best thing you can eat because it, they, they help us navigate life. They help us know God, give us truth. They're, they're not, they're not, to, doesn't give us rules to pen us in. He gives them, to pen us in. He gives us wisdom to navigate life well. So the scriptures, we should really devour them. And, and develop our own personal routines. So, um, I got, you know, I'm just going to tell you what I do. You might want to do something completely different. This isn't biblical. It's just my own little way. All right. So for years now, where's it gone? Oh, it's on there. Uh, for years now, uh, I just have a little routine where I'll read a bit of scripture sometime during the day that works for whatever works best for you. For me, it's the mornings. Um, and then I used to just have just very cheap little spiral notepads from the supermarket, but I've gone upmarket now. I, I, I've got moleskin I've now. I've done that. Oh, yeah, I can't tell you. This is the, the Rolls-Royce of journals. Um, cost you a bit, but I. the reason I did that is because I wanted to have a sense of occasion. And rather than just writing down scribbly little things, and, oh, where did that go? Lost it. I keep every year. I've got stacks of them now. They've got a bit more impressive as the years have gone on in terms of the quality of the book. But perhaps for the last, I don't know, nearly 10 years, I've used these ones. And so, you know, no one will ever be able to read it again because my handwriting's awful. So it's not going no one will be able to decipher any of this whatsoever. Even I can't read it again after I've come back to look at it. But at the time, it meant something. Um, what I do is when I read through scripture, I might, I might only read a verse. Sometimes you just get stuck on a verse and you think, oh, that's, that's a good verse. I'm going to come back to that tomorrow. And it's just learning how to chew the scriptures over, how to meditate on scripture. And we're going to do that just in a minute, a little exercise. It's very easy. Or you might read through perhaps a chapter of the gospel today. Or you might be really want to bold, be bold and get hold of Robert Murray McShane's Bible through a year. Or well, I think there's lots of other Bible reading plans now. I'm a, bit last, I'm a bit last year now. So there's all sorts of apps out there now, aren't there? How many of you have got apps on your phone, Bible reading apps? Show off. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've got. A f- I've, I, u- I do use apps, but um, and I think sometimes they, they can be great. But I do, and you can get, obviously the Bible in any version you like on your phone or your you know iPad or whatever. But I still think there's something about paper because otherwise it's just words on a screen, and you don't really see quite where it fits. Whereas this this is a you know this is a book. It's, it, it exists. Um, so I think I think we've just got to you know hone our love for. The technological, with with a love for for paper, if, if you can say that in a environmentally sustainable way. Um, so anyway, so I, I just write down my little thoughts in the for the day, and I've read me a little passage of scripture, and just do that every day. I and mean, you know, angels do not descend. Uh, there isn't you know uh, clouds of um, uh, Shekinah glory. If there's anything like that. it's just it's a bit like having my breakfast, all right? Toast and marmalade, black coffee, fantastic. Can't beat it. Every day, same thing. Have me breakfast, have my spiritual breakfast. Do I remember how wonderful the toast, marmalade, and coffee was three days ago? Not particularly, it's probably the same as it was. This, but it did me good. And so I just feed myself on the scriptures. Done it for, you know, 40 years since I became a Christian. So it's just a routine, it's a, a spiritual discipline. And here comes up another book recommendation, Years old, this one, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. How many of you read that? Oh, dear Lord, how fantastic. Um, how many of you read this? Oh, this needs a resurgence. Right, this was, came out in the 80s, I believe. All well, the brownness of the paper indicates that it did. Um, Celebration of Discipline, the path to spiritual growth. He just goes through lots of spiritual disciplines, which sound hard work, But spiritual disciplines actually bring freedom. It's a bit like if you wanted to learn to play the guitar like, you know, a virtuoso. You know, just some sort of your rock star image that you want to emulate. And you look at someone playing the guitar and you go, wow, look at how their fingers move over the fretboard so effortlessly. It's like, how do they do that? Well, the reason they do it is discipline. Because discipline brings freedom. See? The more you practice, the more free you look. Because you've learned through repetition, repetition, repetition. Someone said of Pavarotti, you're you're very disciplined. And he said, no, I'm devoted. I'm devoted to becoming the best. And so, yeah, spiritual, uh, celebration, discipline. Richard Foster, you'll probably be able to pick that up for a few pence now on Kindle, if if you read Kindle, anything like that. You got that? Yeah, three of you have, good. Right, so... Now we're gonna just do right, this is this is gonna be a bit weird, but we'll do it, right? Two minutes of Bible meditation. I sure if I'd have had time and a bit more bit more planning, I'm not these things, I should have had all multi sort of media behind me. But if you've got a Bible or an app, right, in the New International version or if you've got ESV or something or something. But in the New International Version I want you to look up Psalm three verse five. Psalm three verse think oh what's he going to do well i'm actually not going to do anything you are, right? and uh, it's, it's just a quick a quick two minute um uh should not have, uh microphone keeps cutting out i don't know if you can do anything about that um uh right psalm three verse five this is what this is what it says I, no this is not working can you hear me all right, or do I need to get into my. It's very irritating if I keep cutting in and out if you're listening. bother me, I'll just keep going on. But if you. It's all right, okay. Um, okay. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. All right, simple verse. I lay down and slept. Woke again, for the Lord sustained me. Right. I'm going to on my watch two minutes. I just want you to think at that verse and what it means. What, just ask yourself, what does this tell me about God? What does it tell me about me? What does it tell me about, um, about truth? What, what does this verse say to me? You'll be very surprised. Just quietly. Two minutes. Ready? Go. Go. Okay, I'll cut you off there at a minute and a half time's going. Right. Any brave souls wanna just shout anything out that immediately, immediately quick off the mark, go on. I think the Lord told him to sleep on his stomach, because if you sleep on your back, all the days worries keep you awake. That's an interesting one. Okay. I'd not thought about the position of his sleeping, but fine good. Yeah. Just fill that out. Yeah. Keep going. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you wake up. Yeah, so just keep, because what this, this is, the right. just learn as we go here, because it's really important. Now, if you just chew that a bit more, just, just keep applying that a bit more. Any more thoughts come to you from that, or from any of you just chipping in there? Just dig. Yeah, good. Keep going. Yeah, back there. I quite happily know when I go to sleep, I can trust God. I'll wake up in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Let me just say, let's go for a slightly extended application. If that be true, what does that mean for the rest of life? That's so what I say, just keep chewing it, keep chewing it. You think, well, actually, if I have no control over whether I wake up or not, but I only wake up because God has sustained me, then what is the point of me worrying about anything else? Because I can't, if I can't control whether I'm going to wake up or not, a simple thing like that, then when the day does start and you're faced with innumerable kind of amounts of challenges, questions, worries, anxieties, perplexities, to root yourself back in that verse. Imagine you carrying that verse with you through the day in your head. Or even when I used to, be an early Christian, I used to have some post-it notes, and when I used to go to work, I'd stick them on the inside of my locker with a verse like that written down there. Because I really needed to change the way I thought radically. I really did. And so I would train myself to think biblically. I'd train myself to, to i would wash my brain with scripture because it needed brainwashing. It needed it because I was thinking in very destructive ways. Learning to let the scriptures shape the way we think. Now, you can't just do that with one verse and then think, right, I've nailed that, I need to read that one again. Or if you have managed to find how to do that, please let me know. But I've found that through my life, I've had to constantly keep feeding myself day by day by day with the truth. And the truth is that for all of us who know the Lord, when we lay down to sleep tonight, We will have no control over whether we wake up in the morning. But God does, and he will sustain us. He will sustain us until it's time for us to go home. Then we don't need to worry about anything else. So tell ourselves, that. can you imagine the effect on the mental health crisis in in the UK? If that one verse was given on prescription to people and they believed it, can you imagine the total transformation that that would bring? Now, that's not to say that all mental health conditions are solved just by, you know, one verse of Scripture. Is to say there's a way of thinking and a way of living and a way of eating on the truth that does set us free. Didn't Jesus say, you know the truth, truth will set you free? So there's something about um, how the Bible, when we when we embrace it by faith, believe it is true, it liberates us. The truth does liberate us. <clears throat> okay, so a couple more things, then we will have to finish. Just, just um, looking at being rooted in the scripture corporately. Now, right, here's a question. Do my trainers go with my shirt? Hands up, yes? Hands up yes. Hands up no, peasants. <laughs> Hands up I don't really I don't really feel comfortable answering this question. Yeah. Okay, so the the point is most of society lives its d- defines what is right by cultural preference. So if as Christians we wear brown trainers, because, you know, the Bible says brown trainers. And you walk into a room full of people with blue trainers on. The pressure is enormous, isn't it? Because you think, well, should I just put the blue trainers on and then I'll be accepted? Or do I say, you should take those and put brown ones on. Not likely to win much, is it? Which is how the church has been perceived often. We just lob things at people with no explanation whatsoever. But if we learn to walk simply um, in the shoes that we have been given, we've been shod with the readiness that comes from the gospel, they may look in vogue, they may not look in vogue, as cultural tides come and go. But we have to learn to keep putting on the shoes that the gospel has made us ready to wear, don't we? And then it says, you know, be willing to give a reason for the hope you have to anyone who asks you. So if someone says, why have you got brown trainers on when the rest of us have got blue trainers? You don't say, well, the rest of you should repent and put the brown ones. That's not how you... Don't do that, Amanda. <laughs> The welly boots, yeah, there you go. But what we can do is say, well, you can tell your story. You can say, well, actually, I believe the Bible said that if I walk this way and live this way and I have this appearance because I believe it's the word of God, you understand I'm talking figuratively. You don't have to wear brown trainers, right? <laughs> yeah, Rumours get out. Rumours get out. Not just, it's a, it's a picture, right? Now, I, I think what, what's... What happened in in our society in the uk is this because we have a very strong christian heritage things like fairness human rights justice righteousness ethics integrity um, defending the weak those are latent in our in our culture because they're relic from a past christian era Right. If you go to many countries in the world and talk about human rights, they'll look at you and think, what are they? We we think what well, everybody thinks like us. No, they don't. We've, we only think like we do about personal liberty and freedom because we've experienced that. Because in the past, this nation had so many Christians that the laws of this nation, the business of the nation, the government of the nation, the way the you know, teaching, hospitals, you know, factories act, all the... The massive changes that have been brought to our nation for people's improvement of living have come from Christian roots because in past revivals, the nation was awash with Christian influence. If you remove the Christian influence, but leave the legacy, what happens is people feel that anyone who's a victim is right. So if you make yourself a victim about anything, well, you must be right. So we defend the victims even if they're actually causing uh, uh, other victimhood over here. And then someone else says, well, actually, you're a victim. You've made me a victim. How dare you say what you said? I feel really hurt now. I've been victimized. And what's happened is because the scriptures have been removed from our awareness culturally, we've got all the offense now still going on, but no plumb line with which to judge it. So everybody is right. Everybody is offended, and everybody has the right to be considered correct and into that situation if as a christian you say well i believe this good luck with that there's a very good book just come out recently called a better story it's worth getting hold of Blin harrison a better story and one of his arguments is this that we we need to learn how to present the fact that that living following christ is a better story it's not, an, it's not an aggressive, you know, you're right, we're, you know, you're wrong, we're right. It, it, following Christ is a better story. Because it is, isn't it? I mean, I, you know, what would I be, where would I be now if Jesus hadn't rescued me? Where, where would you be now? What damage, what carnage would you and I have caused? Well, it's bad enough when we do know Christ. But what would it be like if we didn't know Christ? If, we, if he hadn't have rescued us and, Saved us from what we'd have done to ourselves and other people. It's a better story, but learning to kind of communicate it. Eventually, I think society, rather than it being all, all doom and gloom, you think, "Oh, Mike, you sounded really dark about the future." No, I think actually there's a prodigal son moment going on. You know, the prodigal son went went off and wasted his inheritance on things that actually weren't just weren't going to ever fulfil, and eventually he came to his senses eventually probably just what will happen is the church will just begin to compromise on various things as the world is realizing it don't work then the, ch- the work will come back looking for the world will come back looking for rock solid truth and will have, will have shifted don't shift because prodigals will come looking for the father's wisdom and the father's home so we, we gently, we courageously, we humbly recommend Christ and the scriptures to anyone and everyone we get opportunity to do in a way that might possibly be challenging to our culture more and more. But it's the truth, isn't it? I think we'll stop there let's pray No, one more thing I want to say just sort something <laughs> sorry I, I hope your roast potatoes don't burn but just this is important um, when it comes to us as a church being in existence you think well why do we exist as a church and there's lots of other churches why don't we all just join one big one um, there are there are values that we as a church hold dear and and our wider family of new frontiers and then our particular family of relational mission, those values and things we've built on over the years that we believe to be a diligent attempt is how I describe it, a diligent attempt to try and build as near to New Testament local church patterns as we can. But in the scriptures, Paul says one Corinthians fifteen three, as of first importance, Christ died for our sins, was buried, was raised from the dead in accordance with the Scriptures. That one truth is what unifies all of God's people, whatever church they're from. And we should never separate on secondary matters, even though those secondary matters are important. And we would have certain practices here that other churches, they believe other practices. That's fine. We are all one in Christ. We are all one family. There is only one church. And we must, I think, in the future, more and more gospel unity, gospel unity, is going to become more and more important in this next phase we're going into. A dear friend of mine said recently, there's not enough of us left to have a good fight anymore. So there's no point splitting over secondary matters. We need all the help we can get, all hands on deck. The gospel, first importance, first importance. Everything else we believe, it matters, but it's not first importance. Secondary matters. So that's why, as a church, yes, we believe certain things. We build a certain way, a diligent attempt. But we also have, hopefully, a very generous heart towards the whole body of Christ. And we stand together with everyone who knows and loves the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Now I'll pray. Father, I do pray that you would help us personally and collectively to build well in these days, Lord. They're challenging days uh challenging days personally the challenging days corporately lord and we feel ourselves to be more and more more and more in need of the wisdom of god and i pray lord particularly for younger people here people you know in their 20s 30s lord they are going to be in some years time where the church is built on lord so i do pray Those of us that are a bit older will entrust and steward well what is in our hands so that we might be even overtaken with greater zeal, clarity, and winsomeness in the generation to come. Those, Lord, who who you are putting your hand on now. I pray, Lord, that the pull of culture, the pull of fine-sounding arguments that are just hollow wind, Lord, will not knock anybody off the firm foundation building on the rock that is Christ and the scriptures. Feed us, Lord, from your scriptures. Help us to learn how to feed on you day by day and become strong in these things. We ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.